This is It Was a Thing on TV. Spoiler number one is Dr. Lee Franz. It stinks. What is going on? <laughs> what is going on? Episode 106, submission number 404. That's my bush. That's My Bush aired on Comedy Central from April 4th to May 23rd of 2001 for eight episodes. He's the president in residence. He's kind of in charge. He's got the whole country saying, that's my Bush. Life is hard. That's the price of fame. When you're president, everyone knows your name. Hey, what's that thing? It's my Bush. I can't believe he's actually in the White House. That's our man. And you thought the election of 2020 was weird? Let's go back a bit. Oh, yeah. To the election of 2000. I was a sophomore in college. Greg was... Yeah, I was like a junior in high school. And Mike was... Probably a senior in college. I don't. I don't know what. I don't know what I, Mike. Was he doing. might have still been doing his uh, his tech job at that point because I don't uh, think he went to Cleveland State until a year later. There you go. So the election of two thousand, everybody voted, and by the end of the night, we still didn't know who was going to be president. Thirty-five days later, though, Al Gore finally conceded the race because the U.S. Supreme Court gave. George W. Bush, the gift of Florida. And that's five bucks in the political swear jar for me. Because this is not a show. Because that's my Bush. is not a show about politics. Oh, no, it's not. Granted, there's a political bend. But it's not a show about politics. No, it's a show about sitcoms. Yes. And how how dumb they are. And how incredibly tropey and dumb they are. And I guess if we're going to go back, We should go all the way back to around the time the election was called. Trey Parker and Matt Stone were still riding a high off of their success with South Park and Comedy Central. They signed a deal with Comedy Central to produce a live-action sitcom. But it wasn't going to be any live-action sitcom. It was going to be a sitcom about sitcoms. This was basically a, a a sort of a pastiche of every really bad sitcom trope known to man. In fact, Trey Parker went on record saying, at 3 o'clock Tuesday afternoon, just like everybody else, we were thinking, well, it's going to be a show about gore. And we're sitting here with the writers and coming up with gore ideas, and all of a sudden they pull Florida back out. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. It's just so funny that this election, the one our show hinged on, was the one that was just too close to call. They wanted to do a show about the president, but it wasn't going to be a show about politics, and it wasn't going to be the political satire that South Park was known for. It was going to be a satire about sitcom tropes. And of course, 35 days later, around uh, mid-December, we get Al Gore conceding the race... And the show pretty much had its title. Actually, it had a working title called Family First. Because 
well, they didn't know who the family first was going to be. In fact, if it was Gore, it was going to be Everybody Loves Al. And this is from Truth by Consensus Wikipedia. And because the election results were in limbo, production was delayed until, well, we had a winner. And as soon as we got a winner, we have the title. That's my Bush. Get it? Because their last name is Bush. <laughs> this isn't a double entendre at all. No. It totally is, by the way. Yeah. So, now that we have our premise and everything's in order, it's time to find out who our Bush was going to be. But first, Trey Parker and Matt Stone were given... Call this meddling by the network, if you will, but they decided that Jenna Bush and Barbara Pierce Bush, the the Bush twins, were off limits. So they needed to make a bit of a change. The Bush twins character was amalgamated into one single solitary character, and then you had two other tropey characters, the know-it-all maid Maggie and... The wacky neighbor, Larry. Okay, so there's a neighbor? There's a neighbor. Somebody lives next to... Now, this was this was at a different time. Oh, yeah. Somebody actually lived next to the White House. Oh, yeah. This would probably never happen in 2020. No, it would not. So now that we have all of our characters in place, it's time to cast them. So we start with... The president, who was actually, was he, he was either the, uh, he was the first person cast. Guy by the name of Timothy Bottoms, who you may recall from future installments, the 1990s reboot of Land of the Lost. Wait a minute. That's the dad from Land of the Lost? That's the dad from Land of the Lost. Oh, uh, my goodness. I, I I believe that is the dad. I remember... Oh, it is definitely some... the dad from Land oh, yeah. of the Lost. Yeah, it wasn't played by Wesley here, by the way. Anyway! Oh. Although, that would be a casting coup if that ever happened. Just saying. Okay, so Timothy Bottoms was cast as George. Right when he was cast, he was doing a play in Santa Barbara, and... Trey Parker and Matt Stone called him in, and after an, an impromptu audition, he was perfect, and he was cast. And here's the thing. He wasn't going to be a satirical version of the president. I mean, he wasn't going to be like Doonesbury president, like, let's make fun of the president. He was going to be a lovable goofball. Well, next up, we have Laura Bush who was cast as uh, an actress by the name of Carrie Quinn Dolan, who was an act- uh, a Los Angeles-based actress. Fun okay. fact. You ready for this, Greg? Okay. She was on an early episode of the 2000 version of To Tell the Truth as an imposter. Oh, really? Yeah, really. Oh. The 2000 version with John O'Hurley, of course. Yes. Yes, the... Uh, 2000, yeah, nowadays he would just be classed up the hosting role. Thanks, Anthony Anderson. What? It's a good show. I'm just saying. Hey, uh, hey, hey, 
the 2000 version to tell the truth had Meshach Taylor. Let's never forget this. Moment of silence? Yes. Moment of silence for Hollywood. Moment gone. Okay. Okay, and also we have... Remember when I said that the role of the twins was amalgamated? Yes. It was amalgamated into a secretary who was a bit of a bimbo, sort of a airhead bimbo space case, and her name was Princess. Princess Stevenson. Princess Stevenson, played by Kristen Miller, who would later go on to feature entry, She Spies. Is and She Spies on the list? I don't, that is a good question. I gotta check the list here. I don't think we ever put She Spies on the list. If if She Spies isn't on the list, we're doing something. If She Spies is not on the list, then we're doing something wrong. No, it's uh, not. I can't believe I missed She Spies. It's on the list. Put it on, put it on the list. Put it on the list. Oh, wait. Are we at 1865 now? Jesus Christ. I don't even know who. Yes, yes. Okay, we're we at do, eight... We do this for you, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, 1865. Wait, hold on. Let me, let me check yeah. one more. Yep. Yep. Yeah. There it is. Yep. She's, I can't believe we missed that. Oh, yeah. I can't believe it took 1,864 of her entries to get to She Spies. Wow. But yeah, okay. she, she was also one of the voices in Team America World Police. Yep, she gave the line of cinematic gold. Hey, terrorists! Terrorize this! Oh, classic. And then we have the wisecracking maid of the Bush household. Oh, yes. Played by one of the absolute legends of television. The legendary Marsha Wallace. Yes. What can we say about Marsha Wallace? She is just television gold. Oh, yes. And she, she was she was by far the best part of this show. Yeah, kind of reminiscent of the Florence character on the Jeffersons. Also of the tropey type, we have next door neighbor Larry, Larry O'Shea, played by John DeKino, who would go on to play the President of the United States himself in Cory in the House. But was oh, also he was in Corey in the House. He was in Corey in the House. He played President Richard Martinez. Oh, that's that's nice. He went from being the next door neighbor of a president to being a fictional president. Also, Lieutenant Benjamin Krieg in Sequest DSV. Oh, uh, Sequest DSV. It was all about the dolphin on that show. Damn right. And, and Jonathan Brandis, another one. R.I.P. And, yeah. So, and the last, and the last person. To, oh, well, actually, before we get to this, one of the running gags on this show was Larry, Larry's entrance. Do we have a clip of Larry's entrances? Yeah, I'm sure we can find it. Hey, George, it's your favorite neighbor. <laughs> Say, George, there's some snow on your lawn. What's new, Larry? Nothing. What's new with you? <laughs> hey, George, it's your favorite neighbor. Say, George, could I borrow a Henway? 
What's the... Oh, not now, Larry. I got some problems. Or nothing a couple of cold old sodas can't fix, I hope, eh, Georgie? No, Larry. I got a big problem. Oh, I know what it is. You want a heart. <laughs> hey, George, it's your favorite neighbor. Say, George, there's a pie cost on your porch. What's a pie cost? Three for pumpkin, four for cherry. <laughs> Say, George, it's your favorite tree hugger. Larry, are you the leader of this protest? Say, I'm hungry, George. You want to join me for at stake? What's at stake? Thousands of acres of national park, the safety of endangered wildlife, and the lives of the Alaskan people. That's what's at stake, George. So, yeah, that would be Larry O'Shea, king of the dad joke. Or the, no, that was worse than the, that was worse than the dad joke. That was an uncle joke. But there is one person that we are missing, and he is sort of the deuteragonist of this. Surprise, and that would be Deputy Chief of Staff Carl Rove, and I'll let Greg take over from here. Oh yes, because uh, he was waiting. He was waiting for this, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's been one hundred and six episodes, but for the first time on this podcast, we get to mention this man, the legendary, the great Kurt Fuller. And if you don't know who Kurt Fuller is, what podcast are you listening to? Because he's the ultimate that guy from that thing. But what thing do you remember him for? Well, I, I, well, most people would probably remember him from Ghostbusters 2, where he played the jerk aide of the mayor. But personally, I know him best as the evil television executive, Mr. Brill, from the 1989 Hulk Hogan classic movie, No Holds Barred. Are you trying to tell me my money's not good enough for you? I find that a little hard to swallow, you jockass! Brother. Jockass! What is a jockass, Chico? A jockass? Yeah. More like a jock and a jackass? If we a ever jock do... and a jerkass? If we ever do It Was a Thing at the Movies, that's definitely going to be covered. Definitely. Oh, my God. And, and, and Zeus... Tiny Lister. Can't forget about Zeus. Okay, he's he's another one. Yeah. I'm sure Tiny Lister will come up at some point in this podcast. Oh, yeah. Well, we talked about the characters. We talked about the cast. Let's watch some episodes, shall we? Yeah. Because there is a lot. As I told Greg as we were doing this, there is a lot to take in here. Yeah, Chica I mean, watched the entire series. I just skimmed through points of it on Daily Motion. Uh, yeah. Again, sophomore in college. My my uh, sense of humor was very, very juvenile. Okay, so, the first one, first episode was an aborted dinner date. Oh. Yeah. We meet, oh, we meet the entire cast as George learns that his dinner date with Laura and a dinner tea night, both sides of an abortion issue, are scheduled at the same time. Oh, no. What's going to happen here? Larry, because he's Larry and he does this sort of thing, tells him he should hold both of them simultaneously. He actually does, for the most part, until Laura... Oh, boy. 
Oh no! Well, no. This is this is the Trey Parker writing coming into effect here because Trey Parker wrote at least part of every episode of this series. Laura wants to have sex in the dining room, and <laughs> she's caught naked when everybody from the abortion issue are in the main room of the White House. Oh. Yeah, she's ready to go, and... Yeah, she wants to get freaky in the dining room, but... As everybody does, time and again. Let's get freaky in the dining room, and meanwhile, everybody's just watching her. Oh, but... Does it... Does it... Is, isn't there, like, a part with, like, an aborted fetus? Yes. Oh, God. Yes, there is. Which is... Believe it or not... Not the wildest thing about this series. But, fun fact, the the aborted fetus is actually voiced by an uncredited Matt Stone. As is most uncredited voice jobs in this show. Because Trey Parker, he can write. Matt Stone, he can perform. Anybody who's ever watched uh, South Park or Basketball knows this. Okay, episode two, a poorly executed plan. George's college buddies return and make a mess of the White House. George wants to throw them out, but they say, Ooh, you've changed. Oh, well, come on. George is now the president of the United States. He's the president of the United States. He had to grow up sometime. He can't go to college forever says the guy who works as a, at the student clinic at his alma mater. But to show him that he hasn't changed, he is hired. Are you ready for this? Okay. An improv comedy troupe to stage a fake execution. What? And here is the moment of this episode. Okay. Okay, so you have the prison staff, the lawyer, and the judges... Those are all your improv group. But here's the thing. I believe the uh, criminal, the person who was to be executed, air quotes, was late to show up. Oh, no. Uh Uh-huh. Nobody knows this because there's also an actual criminal that is to be executed. Oh. So while, while shenanigans occurs... They're getting ready to actually execute a real person. Now, Carl Rove, as an aside, he has a bit of a problem with, with the, I almost said acapella, with improv in that it's not truly imp- improvised. It's basically taking rips off of prepared pieces. And he has, and, and you know what? If we can find the clip where he just goes on a rip about improv comedy, we would put it here. No, wait, I really do. I have an idea. You can have a fake execution before the real one. What you talking about? I'll invite my frat brothers to the prison two hours before the execution. We'll hire actors. They'll play the parts of the reporters, the guards, the warden, and the prisoner. We'll administer fake drugs with fake needles, and then we'll get everybody out before the real execution starts. My God, that might be the worst idea I have ever heard ever. (laughs) Come on, Carl, just find me some people who can do improv. We might pull this off. Yeah, and I might shoot a falcon out my ass. <laughs> Anybody could, it'd be you. <laughs> and so, that's why we're looking for a group of actors who can stage a phony execution about five hours from now. <laughs> well, if anyone can improvise, it's Gutbusters! <laughs> Gutbusters are the number two comedy troupe in all of Southern Virginia. 
I don't care. <laughs> Can you fake an execution? Can we uh -huh. fake an execution? Mark, Dave, go. <laughs> oh, help! Please don't execute me! <laughs> That's funny! Say goodnight and freeze! Okay, now we're in an execution, but Dave is singer-songwriter Meatloaf and Pam is deaf. Go. I don't want to turn this electric chair out with my big fat body and long, long hair. Oh, yeah. oh no, fun. Look real. Real? How's this for real? Pam, you're a prostitute whose leg is broken, and Bob, you're trying to tell her she's got gum stuck in her hair. Go. You want a date? Hey, lady, you got gum stuck in your hair. Stop it! We don't want improv comedy. You don't? <laughs> no, we don't. In fact, improv comedy makes me sick. Because you act like it's totally improvisational when, in fact, it's formulas that you rehearse over and over and over again. And every night, you pretend like you're making it up off the top of your head, and then you laugh on stage to make it look real. I hate you. Do you hear me? I said, do you hear me, you sons of bitches? I can't hear you because I'm dead. <laughs> He's not wrong. No. He is not wrong. Anyway, and ultimately, the, your real criminal dies. Everybody is shocked, and he's like, and scene! <clears throat> to sum it all up, what George thinks is a fake execution turns out to be the real deal. And then there's the epilogue. Oh, what happens in the epilogue? Carl Rove actually gets to execute an improv comedian. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, everybody wins? Yeah. Episode three. Eeny, meeny, mighty murder. Oh. The, the plot of, before I espouse, the plot of this episode can basically be summed up with George saying, You've all been invited to a murder. Mine! <laughs> George finds out that Laura has been calling a psychic named Miss Cleo. Oh, because get it? Miss Cleo's a thing in 2001. Yep. And uh, pretty much sort of pre-telling the whole fakeness of the Miss Cleo world as you have, like, several Miss Cleas, including... A male one that says, well, uh, several Miss Cleas that says, Let's, you're going to die, man. You're going to die, man. Death, 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 gay, or death. But after, okay, we say this, this is important, because after George listens to her once, he also becomes hooked on telepsychics. Later, she tells him that he will be killed. Yeah, kind of sort of alluded to that. He then becomes paranoid, and Larry persuades him to ban guns from America. This ought to go over well. No. Nope. In fact, the NRA protests outside the White House, and who else but Charlton Heston comes to talk to the president. Now, this is one of those classic, and Charles Heston as himself, dot, 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 K-Babe. Yeah. Because it's not, it's not really Charlton Heston. I mean, the guy did Dynasty, but he's not going to stoop himself to this. 
No. Anyway. I mean, he, I mean, he already blew up the world in like beneath the planet of the apes. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cinematic gold, by the way. George invites Larry, Laura, Maggie, Carl, Princess, and Charlton Heston to dinner, where he tries to figure out who wants to kill him, and almost gets killed by something that George actually put in place to protect him from being killed. What was that? A bear. Oh my goodness, a bear. Good thing Stephen Colbert's not there. Yep, and I'll, and I'll tell you right now, this is how you know that the that Trey Parker and Matt Stone were not kidding around here. On this episode, according to Truth by Consensus Wikipedia, they used a live bear, <laughs> an animatronic bear, an actor in a bear suit, oh, and a puppet of a bear. A puppet of a bear! Now, pay attention because this is all relevant because they quoted the whole episode as being about $1 million. $1 million? Just for all that? How much does it cost to put a man in a bear suit? And a puppet? Get a, make a puppet of a bear. And an well, animatronic bear. It was a puppet of a bear. It was a really lifelike looking puppet. We're not talking no Fozzie bear. We're not even talking about a bear in the big blue house. I mean, this was an actual this was made to look like an actual bear. An actual big ass bear. Episode four. S D I I. Oh, I got some things to say about this. George gets frustrated when he can't get a cable hookup, so he turns to Larry, who gets him an illegal hookup. Somebody's gonna ask him, "Well, isn't this illegal?" And to which Larry can only say. Pipe down, ass. Your B-plot of the episode, the SDI system, that would be Strategic Defense Initiative, sends a missile to Austria because of a crossed wire. President of Austria and two of his assistants, who, by the way, look kind of sort of familiar, wink, wink, not, not, nudge, nudge, break into the White House to destroy Washington, D.C. Oh, but then the subplot. Oh, my this, this is This would be the B-plot. Princess... She's kind of, she's trying to prove that she's really, really smart. So she buys pills that she thinks will make her smarter. They're not memory enhancements, though. What? Yeah, she must have keyed in something wrong when ordering off of Amazon because they're memory. Memory? Memory enhancers? Memory enhancers. Oh. Princess, this was left at the door for you. Oh, my smart pills. I ordered them off the worldwide intranet. <laughs> oh, well, then they're bound to work. <laughs> memory enhancers. Take one to two pills daily to increase memory size. <laughs> Just think what 20 will do. <laughs> and then... And then her chest gets bigger and bigger during the episode. And the interesting thing is, she actually ultimately resolves both of the plots. And I'm smart. I'm smart. I'm smart. And, and do you know how it how it how, resolves itself? How does it resolve itself? Because her Carl and I, I guess the uh, chief of what is it? The chief of the 
one of the army chiefs or whatever. Yeah. They're tied up as well as well as George. And George is thinking that the that the people in hacking the SDI system are there about the cable. Yeah. He's like George is like, I confess to stealing free cable. And meanwhile, Princess is trying to think, and then what happens? Her her chest gets even more bigger. And it busts up the rope freeing her. And then it, I guess, th- then they use a death ray or something to kill the president of Austria and the two other people. Basically. They have, like, I guess they have, like, a Dalek death ray somewhere in the White House. This is the sort of thing that um, American dad subplots are made of, by the way. We'll, we'll talk more about that sort of thing when we get to the American Fung episode. And the saga of the Golden Turd. Yes. Episode 5. The First Lady's Persqueeter. Ooh. This is where you have, on one hand, assisted the real issue of assisted suicide, and on the other hand, the sitcom issue of mysterious conversation leading to a wildly incorrect conclusion. George is tired of Laura's cat, Punkin, who makes the White House smell bad, like pee probably, and leaves hair everywhere. Thinking that George thinks that Laura is the problem, her and Maggie see a tribe of Indians to cleanse her. Oh! Who has a tribe of Indians on speed dial? I'm the sure point. there's like a I'm sure there's like a roller desk of like Native American groups that have been to the White House. Oh yeah. George breaks Jack Kevorkian and out of prison to help kill her cat. <laughs> What? Written by Trey Parker, ladies and gentlemen. In the end, the cat explodes and the police come to search the White House and arrest Laura. Yeah, that is the god. I don't even... Really? So, how could I put this discreetly? Okay. She wanted to be rejuvenated. What do you mean by rejuvenated? Uh, Laura wanted her (laughs) rejuvenated. Oh! Yeah. Well, you gotta do something. Can't you just talk to the First Lady about it? I can't talk to her about it. She'd be so upset, I don't even know how to bring it up. I think you should just be blunt. It's the best way. And say what? That she's getting so old, the smell's making me sick? (laughs) Not to mention, makes the strangest noises. The hair's all gnarly and gross. You know, Carl, it's getting to the point every time I see it, I want to puke. Because the smell is terrible. Ever since you guys moved in, every room of the White House has started to stink like rotten cheese. Dude, Laura seems to think there's no problem with it. How can I tell her? Do you have to tell Laura? Just get rid of her and get a new one. Much more fun when they're young and soft and cute. This is our cat, Larry. I can't do anything without talking to Laura. Oh, God, it's worse than I thought! He said it smells terrible, and it's old and mangled and gross, and he can't talk to me about it, he's going to get a young girlfriend! Oh, Maggie, what am I going to do? Now, don't worry. There's plenty of things you can do. Uh, Oh, I saw this thing on the Learning Channel about the Punani Indians. It seems they're specialists in the all-natural holistic treatment for the prescreener. I mean, you can use their remedy. Things like uh, an aloe vera wash, ferrado, you scrub it with pine cones and donkey fat. Maybe I should just go see a doctor. 
Maybe you should just go see a doctor. <laughs> and so she thought mm-hmm. when, when George was talking about the pussy, uh-huh. head, she meant, uh huh. Wow, that's something. That is indeed something. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we move on to episode six. Mom E D E A arrest. The arrest of the one millionth drug offender is taking place. Remember, this is during the time of the war on drugs. George's mom, Barbara, comes to visit, but Laura doesn't want her in the ceremony. George's mom refuses to be in the ceremony after hearing that Laura wants to be a part of it. So Barbara Bush doesn't want to be a part of it if Laura is a part of it. Laura is a part of it. And Laura doesn't want to be a part of it if Babs is involved. Okay, thank you. Because I was, that was, my head was going to hurt. Meanwhile, George accidentally takes ecstasy instead of an aspirin for his headache. Oh, jeez. And as soon as he starts doing the, you know, some stuff is going to happen. So he tells Princess to lock him in a room and never let him come out, but tricks Princess into letting him out. At the ceremony, Laura tells everyone that George had to leave, although while he is high, he walks right into the middle of the ceremony. Then he decides the party is boring and he turns it into a rave. Then Laura finally stands up to to uh, Barbara, and in the process, she just says, Now, if you'll excuse me, I have an arrest to make! Yay! Took her long enough. Next episode, Trapped in a Small Environment. If you've been following the uh, previous six episodes, you can pretty much understand what's about to go down here, both in terms of politics and sitcom shenanigans. uh, Greg, have you ever heard of the trapped in a small space trope? No. Well, it's where two people who can't stand each other are trapped in a small space and have to uh, have to find a way to either resolve their differences and get out of the small space. It's a very classic bottle episode trope. Okay, so it's basically the plot of Enemy Mine. Yeah. So, uh, and we'll talk more about this uh, a little bit later, but this show was a very expensive show to produce, so they needed a bottle episode. This was the bottle episode. George and Laura set up Carl with a woman, ignorant of his 25-year-old marriage, as protests start when George Bush decides to drill for oil in Alaska. Carl's wife comes to the White House and blames Laura for ruining her marriage. Throughout the episode, differences are settled by George and Larry, Laura and Mrs. Rove, Carl and Maggie, George and Maggie, Laura and herself, Larry and Carl, George and Carl, Princess and Canuck-Nook, name of the uh, Alaskan native, who is taught by uh, Carl to only say two words. Oil good! And Carl and his wife. It was getting kind of wacky. And when I say kind of wacky, I mean really wacky. But we have yet to plumb the mine of wacky because serving as the season slash series finale is Bear the Welfare. Oh, this is a good one. Yep. Which which introduces 
George Bush's sort of nemesis, the vice president? Dick Cheney? That guy? The guy who shot a guy in the face? That guy? That guy? Okay, so after losing an important peace treaty, Dick Cheney forces George to resign, after which, if you know the presidential line of succession, Dick becomes president. Oh no, this is not good. At which point, the name of the show changes to... (laughs) And I am not kidding... Oh, this is even better than the winds of Whoopi. That's my dick. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, jeez, it's like I can't finish. I can't even finish. Okay. Okay. Yeah, let's play the theme song. He's the president in residence. He's kind of in charge. He's got the whole country saying, that's my dick. Life is hard. That's the price of fame. When you're president, everyone knows your name. Hey, what's that thing? It's my dick. I can't believe he's actually in the White House. That's on my own. That's my president meanwhile george is for george and laura are forced to move to the crappy part of town which is the subject of their next spinoff moving on down moving on down play the clip all right let's play it filmed in front of a live studio audience. Okay, so it's not the White House, that's for sure. But something interesting happens while he's shacked up in the projects. Maggie gets fired and ends up moving with them. And George manages to get a job as a teacher. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. I mean, Laura was a librarian, so obviously it makes sense if George was a teacher. Yeah. There's a theme song to that, too. Oh, how nice. Teach me, Teach me, Mr. B is filmed in front of a live studio audience. But George wasn't done. Oh, no? No. He was also a bartender. He was a bartender? He was a bartender. Oh, my goodness. And guess what? Well, how'd how'd this go? (laughs) Drinking and joking and having fun with my friends. I like my beer with a shot of laughter. I hope I can beat this cancer so it can. (laughs) Brouhaha is filmed before a live studio audience. 
Oh, that's horrible. Yeah, but he has another job. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's a writer at a magazine. Oh, that's great. He's a writer at a magazine. Yeah, there's a theme song for that, too. Hey, oh, it. you know that it's witty banter. Supermodels and poetry. Witty Banter is filmed in front of a live studio audience. George W. Here's Mr. Banner. Take a memo. You're fired! You're fired! Yeah, they were getting really, really, really creative at this point. And then George decides he can't do this anymore. He wants his old life back. He wants his old job back. He has to find a way to get back into the White House. Cue the uh, commercial intercard saying, what a dick. Because, well... They changed the title of the show to what a dick. What a, because, well, Dick Cheney was rather forthright with Karl Rove and Princess Stevenson. Whereas... George Bush was the lovable goofball. Yeah, they're all missing George. Yeah. So how but, are they gonna? How are we gonna sneak him into the? How are we gonna sneak him into the White House again? Well, guess what happens, Chico? He becomes a professional wrestler. Is there a theme song to this? That will come later. It's just George thinks that he's a loser, and so he just becomes. The, he becomes a jobber wrestler in a mask called the Mysterious Loser. Okay. So George is now a wrestler. He's in a mask. He's a Mysterious Loser. And so he go. He faces the big, he faces the champion of the wrestling federation he's in. And oh, he's got the big gold WCW title belt, the wrestler he's facing. That legendary big gold belt. That Ric Flair would have. Yep. And so... And so when he's supposed to lose... You're not going to believe this, Chico. He somehow wins the match. Oh, my God. So now he's the champ. The mysterious loser. The winner is the mysterious loser! Yeah. Loser. 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 But he captures the imagination of America as somehow this wrestling match with the Mysterious Loser managed to get better ratings than Dick Cheney's first address. And you know what that means, right? Oh, he Dick Cheney decides, you know what? This guy's more popular than me. I have to invite this Mysterious Loser to the White House. Yep. And, and then there's a theme song to this. Oh boy! There's a theme song to the to the mysterious loser going to the White House. He used to be president, now he's a wrestler. You won't believe where he's headed now. White House wrestler, better than the wrestlers. His wife doesn't want him to go, and he doesn't want her to know that White House wrestler. White House wrestlers filmed before a live studio outer. <laughs> so, the loser and Cheney, 
they're in the White House together, and the loser is exposed as President George Bush. What? Huh? Well, here's one How thing, Chico. One thing, Chico. He get Dick's gonna give him the White House Award for Wrestling. I didn't know there was a White House Award for Professional Wrestling. You think like you think like Ronald Reagan gave like Hulk Hogan a medal, the White House Medal for Wrestling, or like <laughs> Bill Clinton gave Stone Cold Steve Austin a medal for when he like Stone Cold stunned Vince McMahon. Probably not. No. Anywho, so Cheney gives George. The Presidential Medal for Wrestling. And now he wants to remove his mask. And George is like, no, I don't know you like that. And Cheney's like, no, wait, you say no to the President of the United States? He who is beloved by the people? And George is like, I cannot. And then Cheney's like, you will remove your mask or be killed for treason. Oh, that's harsh. He's a dick. What can I say? Yeah. What a dick. Well, enter Laura, who tries to stop George from, well, doing whatever it is he's doing. Dick pulls off George's mask, and everybody is stunned. Whoa! And Dick says, I condemn this man, animal. He has betrayed you. Arrest him. In comes Larry. Of actual use this time. Not so fast, Dick. Maybe you'd like to explain to the people what this was doing on my lawn. George never lost the Mideast Peace Treaty. You shredded it and threw it on my lawn. Oh, that dastardly Dick. So, uh, I I guess Carl asks George, will you come back and be our boss? And George was like, well, if the people will have me. They're like, yeah. Loser, 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 loser. That was a wacky two days, wasn't it? Yeah. Built with wrestling and theme songs and and, uh, projects and Dick Cheney being a (laughs) Wow. So, uh, yeah, that that was the show. And, oh, yeah. There is one thing. There was one thing I was forgetting. What th- I can't put my finger on it, but I swear to God, it was a, a running joke of some sort. George says a catchphrase what, at least once in every episode. Okay. I remember. Okay. Oh, Lord. One of these days, Laura, I'm gonna punch you in the face. Oh, <laughs> uh, that was, uh, that's just funny. So what happened? Because it it was like, the show was incredibly cleverly written. Yep. And also incredibly cleverly acted. So what happened? Well, again, it was released in April, in the spring of 2001. About uh, four, five or six months before 9-11 happened. But that really wasn't... I mean, you, you could say that was a really big reason 
But it wasn't the only reason that this show lasted as short as it did. What was the reason? Okay, um, remember what I said, that the episode Eating, Meeting, Mighty Murder had a, a bear, an animatronic bear, an actor in a bear suit, and a puppet? Yes. That ended up breaking budget. Oh. And according to uh, Stone and Parker, they said it was a million dollars an episode, and Basic Cable in 2000 wasn't like Basic Cable now. You oh, no. You couldn't just have a million-dollar-per-episode show on Comedy Central. Another such episode cited for such costs was, and again, this is also going to be on a future episode, Strip Mall. Oh, yes. Strip Mall. Wait, was that, is that on the list? Is Strip Mall on the list? Yes, it is. It's 1543. Okay. So... Those two were canceled pretty much at the same time. Again, Comedy Central said it was a creative success and a critical success, but it couldn't turn a profit for the network. I mean, they could do basically what they did with seasons two through blank of Supergirl and moved production to cut costs. They could have done that, but then 9-11 happened, and that pretty much sealed the uh, fate of the show. Yeah, even if this show, like, was renewed, it probably would have been canceled after 9-11 happened because making fun of George W. Bush after 9-11 was kind of no bueno. In fact, I don't even think it was, like, safe to make fun of George W. Bush again until, like, that time he choked on a pretzel. I remember that. Yeah. I'm having having relapses to his father who uh, threw up in the Japanese prime minister's lap. Oh, yeah. So, even if they wanted to, they probably couldn't get away with doing this. No, not today. No. But, hey, it was a really good show, and people working on it really enjoyed it. And to tell you the truth, it also helped out South Park. It did. Because prior to 2001, each episode of South Park was broken up into four acts. While producing That's My Bush, Parker and Stone actually broke it up into three acts. It provided better cohesion, better story flow, and they, uh, they're they using it to this day. Now, not to mention, now this show does have a legacy beyond the Parker Stone pantheon. Timothy Bottoms went on to play the president twice. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, he played the president. <laughs> he played the president in Crocodile Hunter Collision Course. Crikey! Oh, I forgot the Crocodile Hunter yep. had a Which is going to be covered in our Patreon spinoff podcast. It was a thing at the movies. <laughs> and uh, in a much more serious tomber on the TV movie DC 9-11 Time of Crisis. Which I believe also had Henny Johnson, Gerald from 24, and, and George Takei! Yep. Oh my... <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Showtime. Yeah, thank you, Showtime. <laughs> it also had another 24 uh, alum, Gregory Itston, who was also on Strip Mall. Oh, I feel figured. like we should be talking about Strip Mall. Oh, my God. Now we're going to have a 9-11 conspiracy that that bastard Charles Logan was responsible for it. Charles Logan was responsible for a lot of <laughs> Yeah, he was the biggest. 9-11 was not <laughs> <laughs> no, but let but let's be honest. We don't know for sure. 
Well, what can I say? That's my bush. Oh, wait. Okay. Uh, I I have one more thing. Okay. Okay. So the White House set piece. Okay. was, Was a pretty pricey set piece. And here's the thing. Okay. The producers went on a private tour of the White House, and that's how they were able to recreate it. Mm-hmm. And it was just the most incredible recreation ever done for a television show. And and the executive producer, Ann Garabino, used to be, work at the White House for PBS. Oh! So, yeah, I, I believe... You know, I may be... Uh, I, I believe that was actually recycled once the show ended. Oh. The the, the set piece, because that is an incredible set piece. Yep. Uh, Trey Parker said uh, they were packaged up after the show's run and sent to other White House-related productions. Oh, geez, I wonder who got that. That would have been something. That would have been something. That's, a, that, that's just amazing, this show. It really, it's one of those shows that it really deserved a better fate than it got. I mean, yeah, it really was a thing on TV. Oh, I'm, I voted. I voted by a Dropbox, and you voted by standing in line, so there's nothing left to do except wait for the results to come in. And while you're doing that, well... I, I know it's coming. Well... Yeah, the end of the show. That's what's coming. Oh, good. Yeah, while you're doing that, you can listen to the uh, previous 105 episodes of this show on ItWasTheThingOnTV.com. There you'll find uh, more about the show, more about us, all of our social media feeds, and other sort of sort of tomfoolery we have lingering around. Remember, we're on all social media at ItWasTheThingOnTV, be it Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, all, all, all the social medias. Oh, and also, we're on YouTube now. That's right. You can look at, you can stream all the It Was a Thing on TV episodes on YouTube whenever you want. And you can also listen to us on uh, the Place to Be Nation Pop. That's right. Yeah, right now I'm trying to, as we do this, I think I'm going to, on the Wednesday drop, which it'll be like, 101, 102, 103. So we're going to try to catch up because I've released 99 and 100 as separate episodes. I gotcha. I gotcha. But as always, remember to like, comment, and share because sharing is caring. And one of the things we shared is that uh, the next episode that we're going to do was a viewer's choice episode. That's right. We had a viewer choice episode in honor of the election on Facebook, because as we all know, it's it's very hard to manipulate anything on Facebook. Isn't that right, Chico? This is why we didn't put the poll on Twitter, because everything can be manipulated on Twitter. Oh, yeah, because you, you just know that some Russian bots are going to hack it. You've been reading election Twitter, too, huh? Yeah. I I've, can't stop. Yeah, well, you know what? To quote Dave Wasserman... I've seen enough. Yep, and I've heard enough. So until next time, for Greg, I'm Chico, and we'll see you next time with another thing on TV. Wow! One of these days, Laura, I'm going to punch you in the face! <laughs> <laughs>